Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. One of the most successful brands of all time, Coca-Cola, takes its name from one of its original ingredients, cocaine. Whether there was ever enough cocaine in a bottle to get you hooked on the drink, it was removed from the formula in 1929, and since then, Coke has only gotten more popular, until recently. Strangely, it's another ingredient that is responsible for Coke's currently declining sales, sugar and its cousin, corn syrup. Our concern with diet and body weight is driving us away from soft drinks, so it may seem like a strange time to launch a new one, or possibly a great opportunity to reimagine the soft drink. I imagine Roy Nelson is betting on the latter. Roy is the owner of Fest Cola, a New Orleans soft drink company he founded in 2014 with local flavors like bourbon cream soda, Roy, welcome out to lunch. Hi, Peter. It's nice to be here. Another national drink with local roots is coffee. Our French founders brought their coffee and coffee house culture with them to New Orleans. Today, Jeffrey Meeker is building on that local tradition with a company he founded in 2012, French Truck Coffee. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Great Hi. to be here. Roy, I'm sure you didn't jump into this business unaware of consumer trends. Coke has tried to turn things around with a zero-sugar product, Coke Zero, and Pepsi has had a couple of versions, supposedly healthier options, Pepsi Next and uh, Pepsi True. With Fest Kohler, you're making no apologies for it being sweetened with Louisiana cane sugar. Sugar is a natural product, so you have that going for you, but nonetheless, this does seem like a challenging time to launch a sugary soft drink. What are you seeing in the market that makes you confident um, to take on Coke? Well, the interesting thing in the market is that even though, uh, like you said, sugar drinks are down, actually, if you look at diet drinks, they're down more than sugar. Really? So it's not so necessarily it's the sugar and the calorie intake as much as it is uh, artificial ingredients that are driving it down. And Coke and Pepsi trying to come up with new stuff that tastes good using natural zero-calorie sweeteners both of them have just launched with them, and they spent a couple years working on them, and honestly, they don't, to me, taste very good. I wanted to do those as well. We, we researched it and worked in the lab on it, and ours came out the same way theirs did. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> hey, now, there is an interesting angle to, to your business, though. Um, your drinks, I guess, go great with alcohol. They do. Uh, I've been getting a lot of reports back. You know, uh, I didn't intend to uh, create mixers, but a lot of people are doing our almond cola with a, a whiskey or a rum and the Satsuma mint with rum to make like a quick mojito or... Wow, drink, and so. frozen drinks too. Yeah, uh, maybe a, you know, a bourbon, uh, using the bourbon cream soda in a frozen drink with just about anything, you know, so... Wow, but this wasn't your intent. 
not my intent, but it's New Orleans, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jeffrey, you come from a culinary background, and with that in mind, you've been quoted as saying roasted coffee is a lot like baked goods. Freshness really matters. Uh, you're talking about not just making a fresh cup of coffee, but making that cup of coffee from freshly roasted beans. Now, most of us probably have no idea how fresh the coffee beans are uh, either at our house or at our local coffee shop. How do your fresh beans and this concept fit into the market? I mean, uh, if you can get people to try French truck, would they ever be able to settle for Starbucks again? Or is French truck uh, a connoisseur product only? Um, I hope it's both. Uh, people usually seek us out originally um, without any prompting are connoisseurs. Um, I talk about it in the same kind of vein as good wine. Once you've had good wine, <laughs> it's kind of hard to go back to the to the box stuff. Same thing with beer. You know, you've had a couple of really nice craft beers. It's kind of hard to pick up a natural light. <laughs> and I saw one of your quotes was there was a certain bean you had that had a distinct note of blueberries. And I thought that we are really in that wine uh, yeah. set of terminology. Well, the, it's, it's interesting because coffee has followed a lot of the same trajectory as wine. Um, it is as old as wine. Um, in fact, when it was first brought to Europe from the Arab countries, which is where it kind of started its commercial life, it was sold as Arab wine um, really? to the Europeans. And if oil doesn't go up, they'll be doing that again. There you That's go. That's work out. <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, <laughs> I was always told that uh, New Orleans is a, is a great coffee port. Is that what gives you the advantage here? Not necessarily. New Orleans is a huge coffee port, um, but we uh, import and process through New Orleans some of the um, what's called commodity coffee which is the coffee that goes into um, name brands that you see in the grocery store in cans. Okay, like the Folgers um, kind of things, okay. Exactly. Um, specialty coffee, which is the niche that I'm in, is 1% of the coffee in the world. Um, so a lot of that stuff comes from all over the world and gets centralized through brokers. Um, and I, those brokers do all the traveling for me. I'm not, what I do isn't very glamorous. I fix trucks and roast coffee. So, um, but the guys who get to go out to uh, the, all the different farms and meet the farmers and travel, you know, on donkey up the side of a mountain to see where the coffee is I actually would, grown. When I think of coffee and freshness, I think, you know, a fresh cup of coffee just made or maybe freshly mm -hmm. ground. But you're talking about something very different. Fr the, that time difference between actually having it roasted and drinking it. Right? Well, and the, the green coffee, which is what we call it before it's roasted. Um, how long has it been out of the field? That's oh, okay. important. That, number one, is it the most recent crop that I can get my hands on? Um, number two, how it was transported, how it got to me. Um, obviously, um, a, a open warehouse in New Orleans in burlap bags is not exactly ideal climate for a food product. Um, then um, the other thing is when it was roasted, and, you know, ideally three to ten days is when you want to consume it. Um, so you don't want to buy a five-pound bag because it's cheaper because the first pound is going to be amazing. And by the time you get to three, four, five, six, it's not going to taste that great and you've kind of wasted money. Um, so it is very much like a baked good. You're not going to buy a baguette and sit it on your shelf for two weeks because you'll have a weapon, not a <laughs> loaf of bread. Um, and and the one thing the, the city way. doesn't need is more weapons. That's exactly, good. exactly. Yeah. So tell me, this And then freshness of grind, as you spoke about. That's, yeah. that's important, too. I really don't like selling ground coffee because you've exposed so much of the bean to air, it's oxidizing and changing the flavor. Now, when I see you, I see you at these 
these fairs and festivals, and then I see you at a couple of retail outlets, but now you've developed your own retail, right? Yep, we're at 1200 Magazine, right across the street from Barrel Proof, um, and our next door neighbor, which is Courtyard Brewery, just opened. Um, so we've got coffee, then you can go to beer, and then you go to whiskey. So you've got, <laughs> a, you've got a whole day. Then before you know it, you're taking the ingredients <laughs> out of a Coca-Cola from 1928. But exactly. uh, they, uh, wow, that is, that is really... Now, I know, <laughs> Roy, I know that um, you actually do your deliveries at least sometimes with your daughter, right? Yeah, I've taken her out on some routes and give her a little extra sales commission. Uh, it's more for new accounts because no ah, one can... Oh, yeah, who no, can no. say no, Exactly. Right? <laughs> this is a sales technique. You know, Roy, I got to think your your family is the um, Elmer's Chocolates people, and uh, known them a long time. We've actually had your brother Rob on the on the show. Is that where you got your um, you kind of cut your teeth on consumer yeah. spending things like that? Yeah, food and beverage. That's kind of where I got my start working in the factory way back when I was probably 16 or 17 years old. Uh, I went to Babson College up in Massachusetts, as you know, and had a uh, degree in entrepreneurial studies and marketing and ended up interning for Frito-Lay actually uh, my first time on Martha's Vineyard driving a delivery truck. Wow. So come Can't drive too far because it's a really small island. <laughs> yeah. a, wow. Well, in traffic in the summer <laughs> it can true. take you a while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I really did start out just going in there and you know got out on that internship increased the sales of the route 40% over the course of the summer and got a job with them and, and moved into account sales with them before coming back with Elmer Candy and, and moving up and going into national account sales before kind of got the entrepreneurial bug and, and kind of stepped out to try to do my own thing. And then we got a whole bunch of other businesses that I've gone through that we probably don't need to <laughs> hear every horror story <laughs> but to this point, but it's gotten me to here, which is kind of full circle, which is getting back on the delivery truck again. <laughs> and really I use more stuff I learned from that summer to get started and how to, you know, organize logistically and, 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 and get out there and get things done and get things growing step by step. So I think they sent you out journey. as just kind of a scared straight program and you actually uh, decided <laughs> to uh, really enjoy it. That is, that is, that is what, you know, you mentioned something that I hear, two things that I hear on the show. One is a lot of people have had a lot of failures before they, they made it and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what's kind of great about this country. And, uh, and the other part is um, where your family doesn't just, uh, family businesses don't just take the kid back. They want them to go get experience somewhere else. Is that kind of the, the mantra over there? It was definitely like that. Uh, and back then, uh, I thought one of the assets, going to Frito-Lay, and a uh, big thing I in food and beverage and selling to retail is, is, is category analysis and category management. And uh, Elmer's was a, a smaller, was a, a company, small in compa comparison to the billion dollar companies who were controlling the category. Yeah. And we needed to learn how to, do, uh, you know, assimilate that information into our plan and show why we belonged in the space. I mean, you have to still go through the interview process to get a job <laughs> at our family business. So. <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't mention my name is Nelson. <laughs> you might want to help, help me out here. I mentioned I knew you. Oh, good. Oh, that, that is, that is, that is, <laughs> Jeffrey, let me ask you, um, first of all, where was home for you? How long have you been in New Orleans? I, I came to New Orleans um, back in 99 to help open the W Hotel. Back oh, when wow. the W Hotel was still on Poitras, it has yeah, recently changed flat. That's right, yeah. Um, and a, I it's, used a very ch it's a chain of very dark hotels. You, yes. You don't spend much on lighting at that yeah. hotel. I, I <laughs> like them. But that, So you came in as that like a, uh, a hotel like manager? Was uh, a I was a food and beverage consultant. Oh, okay. Hopping around the country doing hotels for the W. Um, and I got to New Orleans and it grabbed me. <laughs> and I've 
aside from being gone after the storm, this has been home. Did you since. see when you were doing food and beverage? Did you did you see this as a niche? In other words, uh, I, I think if I just take one step back, when did you figure out that this uh, the freshness? of the roasting made all that difference. I mean, how would you ever experience that? Well, I was, um, we were living in the isle in the Caribbean after the storm because my wife is in the hotel business and- um, You thought, what a good place to hide from a hurricane. Exactly. Future hurricanes right, in the Caribbean. Right, right, right <laughs> an island, <laughs> island out in the middle of the ocean. Um, and my cousin was working um, in California um, for Alice Waters. And she decided she wanted to come spend the summer with us. And so I said, yeah, come on, you come stay in the extra room. And she brought a bag of coffee with her from San Francisco that had been roasted the day before because obviously she had just gotten on the plane and she brought it and I had it. And it was this epiphany of how in the world have I never had coffee this good? And so I started taking my culinary training and kind of backtracking to try to figure it out. And I kind of figured it out and I kind of figured out that that's not actually what is happening in the vast majority of coffee consumption in the country, let alone New Orleans, um, because coffee uh, roasting has gotten to be a bunch of a factory and distribution network rather than a bakery or a roastery. And so um, kind of just started playing around with it and figured out that that was really one of the keys. And... Um, we knew we were coming back to New Orleans, so I started planning, and I figured out that if I was going to go up against people like Community and PJs, I had to have a hook, and the truck is it. <laughs> the truck is good. Now, how do you, I, I'm trying to think of how you would get involved in this. If um, you're a micro uh, roaster, I guess is what, right, they, what they right. call it, where, where are you roasting? I do. Um, at uh, 1200 Magazine. Really? Yeah, the shop is um, a very small shop in the front. There's really you know, six seats. Um, it's mainly for people who want to come in and have an espresso a la um, Florence, Italy. Um, and then there's a glass wall, and you can see all of our roasting back behind. Um, so it's if you're in the lower garden district and you smell coffee roasting, it's probably us. And it, just by the pure nature of the kind of business you're doing, uh, other cities might have something like this, but it would, it would have to stay in that area, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the time of transport that makes... Well, this New Orleans, works. certainly because of the way it is and the fact that we uh, don't have, aren't linked by a bunch of highways, is much easier for us um, to get it to the restaurants and the bakeries that we serve. Um, I, I say that before iPhones, and, bef and it, I wouldn't have been able to do my business and probably wouldn't have been able to do my business any, in any other city other than New Orleans just because of all these unique features that just like they hooked me in when I first moved here, um, <laughs> they're, they're part of the, the fabric of the culture here and they work. And, let, and to go over the distribution now, Roy, you're, it's you and your truck and your daughter and you're, it's just Southeast Louisiana at this point? Yes, right now we're just doing metropolitan New Orleans and uh, we go out a little bit out to Homa and out to Thibodeau, but our plan is just to grow grow tight so we can commit our dollars into one place and work it up and down the street as opposed to with you know the a fine approach of going in for one big box retailer which we really can't support from a marketing standpoint and I know how lost in the shuffle that you can get from being in this business for a long time and and uh, and what it really takes to move that way and we're we're, we're operating on shoestrings so that's you know our option is just to work it and grind it ourselves and and, and you can do that in one market. We're not the largest market, but you know, 
this market likes local products, yeah. and we, you know, I like doing things original. We are in love with ourselves. You know, that's a very, 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 very cool. And the more time you can stay home and, and spend with your family versus traveling from city to city is a good thing. So this is the time we uh, uh, check our inbox, and our inbox is a, it's when our producer picks a question that's come in over the last week from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have questions for both of our guests today. Here's one uh, for you, Roy, from Tiffany Markey Truxillo, who wrote to us on Twitter and asks, how do you convince people to try local instead of national companies? That's a good question. I guess there's the obvious answers of, of, of going out there and doing tastings and putting it in their hand. It doesn't hit that many people, but it reverberates afterwards, you know, and, and, and gets good traction. Um, and it's interesting, too, because... When you, when you talk about restaurants and stuff, it's not just, I can go out and cold call a restaurant and try to get them to try it. And I might get one out two or three or out of 10 of those guys, and the, but the reorder might be kind of small. Whereas getting, you know, the, the people that come in and that get behind it, the reorders come almost, you know, immediately. So it, it, that's a good question because it's tough to even drive the people who are selling it to, to do right by it. So, you know, the people who love it in the restaurants and the owners, they're the ones that sell the most of it. And it's always going to be like that. Jeffrey, here's a local question for you too from Emily Frock from Twitter who asks, is anyone trying to grow low-altitude coffee? Would that be ever something we can source locally? Yes, they are in California. Um, uh, but the coffee is grown in the same band as chocolate, which is between the tropics, and the weather specificity um, makes it very difficult in our region simply because of the ups and downs of temperature. We have a lot, what, nine months out of the year, we've got the humidity and the heat for it, but we do, the cold kills the plants. You need 12 months of that. Yeah, you need year-round. Now, Roy, Jeffrey, uh, I want to take a minute to introduce you to Renee Brunet. Uh, we met Renee through 52 businesses who specialize in uncovering entrepreneurs in the very early stages of development. Uh, Renee's entrepreneurial idea is called Cafe 821 Livre. Uh, I'm going to give Renee one minute to tell you about it, and then I'm going to give you each a chance to ask Renee one question, a, a question that you think uh, he'll be able to answer to move his company and his business uh, forward. So Renee, what do we got? Hello there. Uh, well, Cafe 821 is relatively new. I opened up uh, this past summer in the CBD. It's a small French-inspired uh, coffee shop. Uh, thus, the term livre is uh, actually just a French word for delivered, which is something that I'm launching uh, right now, and that just is a delivery service. What I noticed since I've been open for about seven months is that uh, it's basically a business district, although growing into a residential area as well in the CBD, and uh, a lot of people are busy. They don't even literally have time to get up from their desks or a meeting to go get a coffee, and thus... I noticed a lot of people, a lot of lawyers were coming to my cafe maybe once a week or so, but I said to myself, well, you know, if you're like me, I like to have my coffee every morning and I kind of need to eat every day. Why aren't they coming to me more often? And so I said, I started asking around and I was like, they don't have time. Well, that's easy, an easy solution. I can bring it to them. And voila, as they say in <laughs> French. Roy. Got a question you should be able to answer. Are you doing this all yourself? How many people do you have working for each cafe? For, uh, I am, I'm <clears throat> only one cafe, and I'm a one-man band for the moment. But hopefully that will change very, very soon. Because obviously if I start getting a lot of requests for deliveries, 
I can't uh, run the cafe and offer the deliveries. Jeffrey, what, what one question do you think uh, Renee needs to be able to answer here? Well, um, my question would be, how do you scale it? Right now, I'm starting off with a minimum purchase of $25 to walk on the delivery? order over okay. on the lid delivery. I also offer small catering, you know, people, you know, like I said, my area is really a lot of business people for the moment. I will evolve as the neighborhood evolves, um, but I can do, you know, like a meeting of 25 people and need sandwiches and coffee and whatnot. I'll just walk that over. Now, as things evolve, I will have to evolve with that as far as employees and timing and requirements. Renee, <laughs> thank you so much for coming My by pleasure. today. My pleasure. Merci beaucoup. Oh, <laughs> I just feel bad about myself. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to following your progress with uh, Cafe 821 Livre. <laughs> We're going to stick around for a little longer after the show and talk some more about Cafe 821 Livre. Um, you'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation with Renee Brunet on our website, itsneworleans.com. Uh, Roy Nelson, Jeffrey Meeker, Coca-Cola and Starbucks both started out as small operations with no hint of the global domination that was to come. So we'll keep an eye on Fest Cola and French Truck Coffee and see where your companies uh, go over the near future. I look forward to keeping up with you, and thank you both so much for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Guys are a lot of fun. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, and live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The Knicks writing Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast, and you can listen to past shows, and you can really keep up with all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Baton Rouge-based PreSonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and from Iberia Bank offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer small business and commercial clients serving Louisiana clients for 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities iberiabank.com additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments